Welcome to the St. James Parish Podcast. Enjoy sermons, lectures, and special presentations from St. James Episcopal Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. Curious about what else St. James has to offer? Visit our website, linked in the show notes, to learn more. So in the 1930s, when England and the church therein was in sort of a state of depression, Evelyn Underhill, a great Christian writer, wrote the Archbishop of Canterbury to share her thoughts um, unfiltered on the state of the Church of England. And let's just say it was not a rave review. She was concerned that the clergy of the day had lost focus and that they were too focused on debates of the moment. They were important questions, but in her mind, they were not ultimate questions. And in the course of the letter, she sent this reminder to the Archbishop, I love this. She said, God is the interesting thing about religion, and people are hungry for God. God is the interesting thing about religion. And and whenever I read that letter, it's an awesome letter. You can Google it and see the whole thing. It's it's grand. Um, I wonder what it was she saw in the church that made her write the leader of this global church and remind that person that God was the interesting thing about religion. And I wonder if the church today needs a similar reminder or a renewed vision of what's truly interesting about religion. So last week, a wise spiritual advisor directed me to an article by Nicholas Kristof, who wrote a column about why religious observance might be in decline in our country. Christoph noted that Christian leaders had turned off many people by getting tied up in particular political agenda. I agree that's a factor, but I see a bunch of other forces at work. Maybe you do too. Many people cite the failure of clergy of many denominations in sexual abuse and mishandling money. Others say that the church has failed to give a reason to believe, let alone to attend. One person said she actually preferred the Rotary Club to church because the people she met at Rotary Club were nicer than the people she met at church. Another person said they preferred a Durham's Bull game because it was more successfully racially integrated than any church she'd ever been to. And others said the church is simply boring, lacking transformative power. An hour spent at the gym or the yoga studio seemed to have more effect. Every year when it comes up, I am taken with the prayer we heard at the beginning of the service. What catches my attention is this phrase, increase in us true religion. So it always makes me think, every year we read it, what actually is true religion? What did the author of that prayer have in mind? What is not true religion? I bet we've all heard people describe themselves as being spiritual, not religious. Spiritual is good. Religious is bad. Given that, how would you describe true religion? There's a new book about the teaching of Jesus by Richard Rohr, and he compares religion and the gospel, sets those two things up side by side. And he says, religion is the things you normally go through to meet God. The gospel is the way you will see and think after you have met God. I love this, the way he puts it. Religion is the invitation. The gospel is the banquet. 
By gospel, I take him to mean the good news of God's grace, the experience of the unconditional love of God living into that. And I like the notion that religion is an invitation for too many. Uh, Too often, religion is a test, uh, a hoop you have to jump through, kind of like airport security, um, something to check off the list of things that good people do, like going to the dentist. If true religion is, in fact, an invitation, that means it is not an end in and of itself. It's an instrument. It's an introduction to an encounter with the living God. So that in that perspective, the church, clergy, sermon, the building, the liturgy, the music, the vestments, the sense of community, good coffee at coffee hour, are not ends in and of themselves as wonderful as they are. They are instruments meant to lead us to an encounter with the living God. So what does that encounter look like? We get an idea from this great story. Thank you, Carol, for reading it. The story of the call of Moses. It takes place in, of all things, a religious space on sacred ground, the holy mountain where people came to encounter the living God. And Moses finds himself on the holy mountain and he turns aside to look at a bush that was burning but not consumed. And with his decision to turn aside, I think there is intentionality. There's religion. Maybe the kind of intentionality that leads you to a sacred space on a summer holiday weekend Sunday morning in Wilmington, North Carolina. So this aforementioned bush starts talking, right? Moses responds with three very dangerous words. He says, here I am. And those powerful words get people in trouble again and again in Scripture because they trigger transformation. Maybe showing up in a church in a culture where church attendance is optional is a way of saying, here I am. Maybe it's a religious practice. For Moses, it is dangerous because he begins to get a bit of an idea of what God actually has in mind. God intends to change Moses' life so that he can be God's instrument to address the suffering of the world in short order. In response to the assignment, Moses, beginning to understand his phrase, here I am, quickly turns into a question. Who am I? Who am I to do this work? And I wonder if you've ever said that in your encounter with God in your spiritual or religious experience. It's a question we might ask when we think we're not good enough to do what God wishes for us to do, that we've messed up too badly when we suspect God's call might be a wrong number. It really is a question of identity. And I love how God answers Moses' question of identity. God doesn't say, Moses, you are so swell. You are so talented. You are such leadership material. You are so gifted. That's why I called you. Instead, when Moses asks, who am I? God answers, I will be with you. Few of us will get to that holy mountain. I don't know anyone who converses with burning bushes. If I did, I might refer you to a mental health professional. But wherever we are, what we claim in this community is that there is a possibility of encounter with the living God who promises to be with us. And if we don't believe in the possibility of that encounter, even with just a mustard seed of faith, then what's the point 
Moses had this encounter as his religious practice was an invitation to say, here I am, as he recognized he was in the presence of a greater power by saying, who am I? And as he set out on the banquet of the liberating gospel, when he heard God say to him, I will be with you. And for this community these days, that kind of encounter comes to us as we center our common life on Jesus. Jesus spoke about what that encounter looks like. While his teaching often highlighted places where religion had gotten off track, and while, as we heard in the gospel, some of his most vigorous opponents were the most religious people of his day, the clergy, today's gospel offers a vision of true religion. Jesus says, if anyone want to, be, if you want to become my follower, let those people deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The religion, the invitation that Jesus offers is an encounter with the living God who we meet as we let go of our own agenda and follow him. It comes as we focus our lives on giving and forgiving, mindful of all we've been given, mindful of how we've been forgiven, mindful of how we've discovered the gospel. So Anne read from us uh, from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, the 12th chapter, a chapter which began by talking about living a life of sacrifice. And then Paul seeks, uh, proceeds to describe what that looks like. He talks about a life of giving. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Love one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Bless those who persecute. Associate with the lowly. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm guessing that that is what St. Paul would describe as true religion. And it's not an end in itself, but an invitation to encounter a living God. And the possibilities for that encounter surround us in a place like this, in the religious things we do. So in baptism, we're invited to encounter the Holy Spirit with whom we are sealed forever. In Eucharist, in a moment, we're invited to encounter Jesus in the bread placed in our hands. In hymns of word and praise, we're invited to encounter the Creator God who makes that same promise to us, I will be with you. And then as we go out into the world, the invitation to encounter God continues as we are invited to seek and serve Christ in all persons. In her book, An Altar in the World, Barbara Brown Taylor says that everywhere we go, we can find ways of worshiping. We can find places to worship. We can find altars. She says the earth is so thick with divine possibility that it's a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. Howard Thurman put it this way, if God is the creator of life in its totality, then all things are in candidacy for the achievement of the high and holy end. Candidacy for the achievement of the high and holy end. So take this Sunday as a chance to think about what you think true religion means. I suspect each one of us experiences moments of true religion. And I expect we also experience moments that are not religiously true. A mentor once told me he never met a motive that wasn't mixed. We come before God with that mix. And as we do, there is always that graceful invitation to encounter the living God 
loves and forgives and welcomes us to his banquet of grace. Question is, are we open to that encounter? Do we believe it can happen? Do we expect it to happen? Pray with me for an increase in true religion. Amen.